Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have a question that I feel like is on everybody's mind, and uh, that is, did you do push-ups before every show to look good in the Simba costume? Um, I was too young to be vain. If you asked me today, I would be doing push-ups in any kind of Sean T workout you have, but <laughs> I, um, I didn't know that that was part of it. It's kind of funny when you go, oh, and you see all the other Simbas and you know you have to take your shirt off. But I never was that conscious. I think, let me tell you this, doing the show is enough of a workout already. Oh, totally. That's such a so good you point. So you, yeah, you didn't need to do any extra. I wonder if on the breakdown there are like cheesy puns like animal magnetism required. <laughs> or... <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we're talking about the epic musical The Lion King. And to join me in talking about it is a recording artist, star of TV and film, and of The Lion King itself. Yeah. Everybody, it's Teron Brooks. Hey, everybody. I'm so grateful you're here. Holy cow. Truly I'm excited, honored. Jeffrey. Is it Jeffrey or Jeff? What do you like? On this show, call me Jeff. <laughs> Jay, right? <Yeah>. <laughs> it just keeps getting shorter the longer I do the show. <laughs> Let's just dive right in. You started in the ensemble in New York? I was all I was always in the ensemble and I was always a cover. Okay, a cover of Simba. In LA I had most hundreds of opportunities to play Simba, but in New York, it was a different story. But yeah, that was my Broadway debut. Okay, so, so you make your Broadway debut. How old are you? Oh, how old? Do you mind saying? No, I don't mind. Who cares? Okay. I was 25. And was, was like, 25. Bro- was Broadway a dream at that point? Or were you like, wow, I guess I'm in Lion King now? Let's talk about childhood dreams. Sure. No, when I was a, when I was a child, when I was studying, and I went to a performing arts school. I guess you you would think, oh, but I never, never, never really thought it was possible. I was a singer songwriter. I wanted a record deal mm-hmm. like crazy, and so <laughs> I started to do musical theater, and I liked it, and I started to get some roles, but not necessarily. Oh, I'm dreaming to get there. But I have to say, through my professional journey doing musical theater, doing some shows, I, I did some shows before the line. King. I did want to be on Broadway, but specifically with The Lion King. So it was twofold. My debut of being on Broadway was like, oh my gosh, I'm here, but with this show. Oh, how cool. Uh, so it was a double kind of uh, exciting dream. But I want to be honest about it because some people who are right now just can't wait to get to Broadway or thinking about it every single day. I wasn't really obsessed that way, Sure. but I knew the significance of it. I knew what it meant. And why was Lion King specifically the show? I just felt, um, this is corny, but like a calling to the work and the artistry. And at that time, Lion King was, you know, the biggest thing on Broadway. And it was very 
um, transformative, right? Remember mm-hmm. how the puppetry and all that, you hadn't seen something like that. So I said, if any Broadway show I would want to be in, I just don't want to be on Broadway. I want to be on with that, with mm-hmm. doing that, with those people and with the story. Um, so I think it was a spiritual call. I auditioned a lot of times. And sometimes when you audition, and you know this, after the fourth time, you don't go back. Right. But something told me to keep going back, to mm-hmm. keep that dream alive, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, many, many, many reasons for wanting that. And the representation, I think, also of seeing a lot of people that look like me on stage was enticing. How big is the cast? Wow. It's a, bi- it's a big group, isn't it's it? It's huge. It's a big group. It's a, it's a big group of leads. Sure. And then there's a huge ensemble. You forgive me for not maybe knowing the number. No, it's but fine. It's a massive cast. It's one of the things that now looking back on it, because I saw I saw the show when I was teenage years, and the thing that is coming to me now as I'm much older is the concept of community, is this overriding theme of Circle of Life throughout the entire show. And mm-hmm. it's just not possible without that many lives, that many souls on stage. It's probably the only way to do the show, but it was a very inspired way to do the show. Yeah, absolutely. I think the backbone of the show is the community of the actors. I mean, and the spirit of those people coming together even to this day, and I have many friends still in it. That's what I take away. I mean, there were other issues, there were other things to take away, but somebody's working the elephant. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's work. So the soul that has to be involved and the souls and the spirits collectively. And then you talk about the representation of that show and what that kind of meant at the time. It's funny, like we're talking about it now, but at that time to have that representation of these regal kings, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, I think is something to to be noted and, and something that I definitely cherish, the community and the, and the spirits. We're, of course, talking about The Lion King based on the famous Disney animated film. I don't know who hasn't seen The Lion King, but maybe there are people out there who haven't. I think this was the movie I saw the most in the movie theaters, like the most times in the movie theater. Every time it was like a friend's birthday, we were going to end up at a movie theater watching The Lion King. (laughs) And I was also that nerd that you're talking about who, who was, you know, tracking every single Broadway show. And Disney was a huge part of that for me because I had been such a fan of these animated shows. And then they opened up Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, which is a huge hit, really introducing kind of this family vibe into Times Square that hadn't existed. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of spectacle and a lot of special effects that are in Beauty and the Beast. So now where does Walt Disney Theatricals go next? Mm -hmm. Apparently they thought, you know, let's do something less risky that's not as much work. The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which seems like an even bigger gamble than Beauty and the Beast. But at this point, the movie had made a gajillion dollars worldwide. It had won Academy Awards. It had hit songs on the radio thanks to Elton John. So this was a huge franchise type thing. It only made sense to put it on stage. But how? How on Mm -hmm. earth to make Mm -hmm. this work? And I think one of the smartest things that the Walt Disney Company ever did was hire Julie Taymor. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you ever meet Miss Taymor? I did. I met her, and I didn't have a personal session with her, but she came to the theater to do some, like, notes 
And when I tell you, she, in probably 20 minutes, did the show in different characters. She is, and I'm, how do I not do this? Because I'm not trying to, she's crazy in a good way. Let's just say it. (laughs) Let's just go ahead and say, I. That's not mince words. I don't know who's going to listen and tell on me or whatever. She's just brilliant, you know? Yeah. And the way that she – she's not going to just give you the note. She's going to act it out Mm -hmm. (laughs) physically because you've heard the story that she actually went to Indonesia. I mean she went to these places in the fields and took pictures and sketch pads and, you know. Right. And your point, they could have been safe. And I don't think that Julie Taymor was a safe choice. I mean, it could have been risky too. I don't, you know, uh, in the end, it worked out. But what she was presenting—if if someone didn't have the creative mind to go, let's go that way—so I always tell people, like, if you're going to take your kids or you're going to spend the two hundred dollars for anything, you should see this show because it's more than you think of a cute skit cartoon, you know. Mm-hmm. And and a lot and, and and sadly, a lot of people don't know that. They don't know uh, how rich it is, you know. Yeah, so much texture, so much creativity, so much originality, like you said. I, I was revisiting a lot of the designs and things in preparation to to talk with you, and I almost had this feeling of, I wonder if it's going to feel basic, mm-hmm. you know, because so much of what theater has become is because of the advancements and risks that were taken during Lion King. But... Boy, everything still looks really amazing. Oh, I mean, is it 23 years, they said? 24 years? 20, yeah, it From still looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's still an achievement. That's hard to do because you can have an achievement for 2015. You can have a choose achievement for 2009. That was great then. Mm-hmm. But to be able to stand the test of time in an, in an achievement-based way, it sure has its place. Agreed. Know? 100%. Now, Julie Taymor, to talk a little bit about her, which I don't feel bad. I mean, <laughs> you can find any sort of number of descriptions about Miss Taymor on, <laughs> on the internet. I would say, above all, and, and here on the podcast, we like to focus on the positive. She is incredibly creative, incredibly passionate, and has an uncompromising vision when it comes mm-hmm. to those first two qualities. Yes. And the thing is, is that when it works, boy, oh boy, does it pay off. And in the case of Lion King, it did. Now, when she was younger, she won this fellowship that gave her a grant and allowed her to go and travel the world. And where she ended up was Indonesia. And in Indonesia, she started a theater troupe. (laughs) Like she just showed up to Indonesia, kind of looked around and was like, I know what I'll do. And using a lot of diverse cultures and influences, created this theater troupe that was based a lot on puppetry and a lot of classical storytelling for that region. That experience was so transformative that that craft and technique is what she brought back with her to the larger theater landscape here in America. And it really became a hallmark for her work here, whether it's reinventing the classics by staging Shakespeare or Commedia dell'arte, And in the mid-90s, she had this show at Lincoln Center with her partner, Elliot Goldenthal, called Juan Darien, A Carnival Mass. And it was this, like, South American fable, once again, using a lot of puppetry, a lot of weird, bizarre imagery. It's celebrated across the board, gets nominated for a lot of Tony Awards, despite not running very long. 
And I believe it's because of that weird show produced at Lincoln Center that Disney was able to really see what was possible. Mm. Michael Eisner, CEO of the Disney company at that point, signs off on Julie to become the director of their next Broadway show, The Lion King. And you better believe she brings all of those influences to this story, which is essentially about the circle of life in Africa. I have this memory of going through my dad's newspaper, which I would always get in trouble for doing, but I would go in and I would look through the reviews of movies. Like, who am I? Why am I a nine-year-old who's obsessed with like what the critics had to say about The Lion King? But I specifically have this memory, and the title was... It's Hamlet, it's Bambi, it's Hamby. That was the title. And I don't I can't honestly don't remember if he was saying that was a good thing or a bad thing. But like <laughs> but like the idea that they are animals, a parent dies, that's very Bambi in the tradition mm-hmm. of Disney animation. Mm-hmm. And then there's also this sense of identity and royalty in the story which is very Shakespearean and almost Hamlet-like, especially since the murder happens within the in the family. Mm-hmm. The only reason I bring that up is because it does seem that Julie Taymor is so taken by classical storytelling that I I think that she saw something in this story, Mm -hmm. in the journey of Simba, that is classical in the way that she's inspired by other classical works. Mm -hmm. In the same way that I think of Julie Taymor associated with The Lion King on Broadway— I would say we all associate Elton John with Lion King in terms of the cartoon, mm-hmm. right? They were synonymous. Elton yes. John wrote, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Circle of Life, Can't Wait to Be King, many of which were on the radio, won Grammys, won Academy Awards. So besides being this huge Disney franchise, you've got this rich musical texture thanks to Elton John. However, I believe that the heart and soul of the music of Lion King is because of Lebo M. Yes. The first kind of desk hand at the very beginning of Circle of Life helped me out with the words. Uh, uh, Gonya. Gonya. Yeah, Gonya. That is him, right? That's him singing? Yes, yes. So even if you don't think you know who Lebo M is, if you've seen <laughs> The Lion King and have, you know, pretended to know those lyrics, you've been singing along with Lebo M your entire life. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you know about him? You're the one who sang his arrangements. (laughs) Well, the interesting thing, I met Lebo M not during Lion King. I did the session for Tears for the Sun. It was a Bruce Willis movie that he... No way, that he did with Hans Zimmer? Yes. So I got to sing in the choir and, and work with Lebo personally from from that experience. Haran, I just got chills. That's so cool. And that was after The Lion King, actually. Um, oh, wow. Which probably The Lion King helped because I knew how to pronounce, you know what I mean? I could do sure. some of the, I could fake my way through, you know? Um, so I don't have a lot of context. Let me say this. I work, I'm work. i lying. I worked with Lebo M also at the Superdome in Louisiana. They did this huge hunchback of Notre Dame premiere. And I was uh, one of the singers and Lebo was there too, so twice. But I don't have any personal other information other than to absolutely second your emotion that if it was just Elton John, who we love and those beautiful songs without the cultural, authentic value of Lebo's contribution, we wouldn't be talking about this historical, wonderful thing from Julie because it's a marriage. And not just him, there's South African 
from the original Broadway cast to now, I still believe five or six actual performers from that place. So when I'm standing next to that person, you know, mm-hmm. hey, friend, I'm getting that spirit. I'm getting that authenticity that comes upon myself to make it even more um, believable. So, and, um, and, and you can hear it. There's a tone. There oh, there's, is, there's a spirit a behind it. There's a, Exactly. Yeah, and I remember seeing this thing for the first time, and you were like, "Why am I crying?" Because mm-hmm. you kind of you kind of don't know <laughs> that that that's gonna happen multiple times in the show. It's the language that you don't even know. That's how powerful music is. You don't know what "Mamale, Mamale." What are they saying? "Ingunyama, Nengwenamabala." That's the lions coming. You you don't necessarily know what it is, but you can feel it. And that is another thing that I think the Lion King did. And when you talk about the circle of life and bringing people together. It's this language, it's this commonality, it's this thing that brings you to tears because the heart, we all beat the same, if that makes sense, even yes. if you're from a different place. So that's what Lebo did. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know specific things or even how he got involved. So from what I understand, he was a musician from South Africa who came to the United States because of apartheid, basically does whatever he can to be assistance gophers, anything in the music industry in Los Angeles, miraculously meets Hans Zimmer, who is a, you know, Academy Award winning film composer. And they hit it off immediately and start working together. Then Hans Zimmer gets Lion King, so you better believe that Lebo comes with them. And they create so much music they end up releasing another album called Rhythm of the Pride Lands. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. I remember that. I think I still have that. I do remember. Which is like just as good, if not better, than the actual soundtrack, the Lion King soundtrack. Now, when they decide to turn it into a musical, they obviously need more songs. They need more music. And so they take a lot of the music that was released in that Rhythm of the Pride Lands CD and turn them into songs. A lot of the songs like Shadowlands or uh, He Lives in You were seeds on the Rhythm of the Pride Lands album. Uh, I have a quote from him. He says, Like Simba, I too lost family and close friends during my exile from South Africa. But I victoriously returned home to the open arms of my newly freed countrymen. It was such an amazing year the Lion King film released. Nelson Mandela became president and I came home. I am so grateful that Walt Disney Theatrical Productions and Julie Taymor enabled me to bring the music from my debut album, Rhythm of the Pride Lands, to the stage. I hope the audience will sense it in the music. I am proud to bring the sounds of Africa to the Broadway stage. Wow. Wow. Like, are you kidding me? Emotional just hearing that. Wow. When I think about the story of The Lion King and the idea of Simba realizing his place in the circle of life all of the ups and downs of that circle. And then to hear him, who has composed music to embody all of that, say so plainly, this is my life. I was not able to be home. And then I came and created this. And then when I created this, I was able to return home. It's so gorgeous. And that's what we hear. And that's why we're touched because it's not something actually made up. Now, there's brilliant people out there that can make things up, you know, and touch our hearts because they're brilliant in the way that they're telling it. But we are reading and hearing 
whether it's Julie Taymor or Lebo, whatever, that their story, you know, and their journey is actually a part of what we pay to see. And I think that that's part, anything that I do in in my art and my creativity nowadays has to be laced with my story. Mm. And not just the parts that are great and, you know, I think are noteworthy, but all of the parts of, of, of my life, um, when I sing or perform, it has to be in there, you know? And so that was beautiful what you just read. And I'm sure he feels, I'm sure no Grammy or success, even though that's massive, will match to how he feels about going home and have his country free and having that happen at that time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And to have it all meet up so perfectly. Yeah. Okay, so Lion King opens in 1997. And this season on Broadway, I think is one of the truly great seasons of musical theater, period. And I'll stand by that opinion. Not only did we have The Lion King, we also had Ragtime in the exact same year. We had, which, I mean, come on. Then we also had more great music from shows like Sideshow and The Scarlet Pimpernel, not to mention the groundbreaking revival of Cabaret. All of that was in one season. And in any other season, Lion King, something as creative as Lion King would show up and it would be like, yeah, well, it's going to win everything, right? Mm -hmm. You add all of that other stuff in there, and there was a real debate about who was going to win these awards. Mm-hmm. So nobody took everything. Ragtime won best book and best score, as it should, because that's pretty flawless writing. Then Lion King won all of the technical awards, as well as a Tony for Julie Tamer for best director. And that was the first time a woman had won the Tony Award for mm-hmm. best director. Cabaret wins most of the acting awards, except for Audra McDonald, who like won her 17th Tony Award. <laughs> <laughs> and then for Best Musical, Lion King takes it. And I, I I have to admit, I was a little upset because Ragtime was my favorite musical of that year. But now that I look back on it, Lion King changed everything. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's neck and neck, though. I think it could have been a tie. I think, given, <laughs> you know, because if you're, if you're not thinking about La- uh, Lion King and you're just in Ragtime, man, there's nothing, nothing like Nothing better. But I do think overall in what you're saying and the scope of what Lion King did, yeah. it deserved the achievement. Amen. That's such a good way of putting it. The achievement of Lion King had to be um, recognized. Recognized. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Now, the thing about Lion King that's interesting is that we've all seen the show. We've all yeah, seen the movie. Heard. Yeah. And so yeah. there's this interesting tightrope that they were walking mm-hmm. in terms of how do we make it new? How do we make it fresh? What do we risk and what don't we risk? And one of the things that I think, and I'm totally guessing here, but one of the things that I think that maybe Walt Disney Theatricals was pretty hell-bent on was not changing the script too much. Because right. the book, the script of the musical, is written by the same people who wrote the the animated film, which is unusual for a Julie Taymor project. She usually always has a writing credit. Yeah, she does have, which you might touch on, a writer's credit with the music. Yes. Who yeah. doesn't? <laughs> yeah, which I was always thinking, what, Julie, what did you, what, what song, what note did you, come on. Apparently you know? she did lyrics for Endless Night. Now, right, okay. okay. I, I'll just go ahead and read here on the cover of my CD. It says, music and lyrics by Elton John and Tim Rice, additional music and lyrics by Lebo M., Mark Mancina, Jay Rifkin, Julie Taymor, Hans Zimmer. And they were all nominated for one Tony Award for Best Score. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that alone has to be like some sort of Broadway record that there were that many composers on an original score. It feels like Nashville to me, like in Nashville, if you're a songwriter, if you're in the room, you're a writer. You get a writer credit? <laughs> yeah. You know, it feels kind of like that. And you're like, so I brought somebody... the donuts, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, what if Disney had filmed The Lion King on Broadway like Hamilton mm-hmm. and had released that instead of the new Lion King film that we got last year? I mean, wish they would have. Man, right? Wouldn't that have been amazing? Wish they would have. And see, this is a great example where I know that that movie was crazy expensive because of all of the special effects that they did. And it became the highest grossing film of Mars. You know, like it just made so much money. But I think that that is a real testament to making the safe choice in a way that they didn't when they did it on Broadway. You know, let's just remake the movie. We'll add Beyonce. And then how do you, wait, 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 wait. How do you have how do you have Beyonce and she doesn't sing Shadowlands? Like what's Thank the you. point? If if you were gonna do this hybrid or this new thing, do it. If the budget's going to be that big in terms of that film at this point in time, because it's not nineteen ninety seven, the economy isn't quite what it used to be, then I guess they make the safe choice. They don't go the Tamor route, which I know I am positive that Julie Tamor had a pitch with them about what she would do with the film Mm -hmm. version of Lion King. Because, and now we'll get into some facts and figures, The Lion King the Musical is the highest grossing musical of all time, period. It has grossed, I believe, $8 billion. Oh my gosh. Insane. And, you know, here I get judgy. I get judgy, but I'm like, okay, uh, that's great. And that's, wow, but what did you do? do with it what can you do with it Ah. i see that all the time i see that in television i see it on broadway we break new ground by by taking a risk and then once it makes a lot of money we just kind of redo the thing that's safe now instead of taking a new risk yeah what you gonna do and and you would think that it would be the opposite that i would have the money to take 80 billion more risks yeah. because I have money. You know yeah, what I mean? As exactly. opposed to the person that has nothing and, and is taking a risk. I mean, was Hamilton a risk? Probably, I guess, when they were going to switch it up and do this and that. You know, you you have to think about when it started, the idea, not the success of it all. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that that was probably a little risky. Yeah. Like he was going to say, we're, we're going to twist it. We're going to do this. So I think Lin-Manuel is a great example of that. He took a risk by creating In the Heights, which is actually a very simple plot. Not a mm-hmm. lot happens in the show. And yet infusing it with this kind of new energy and cultural representation that hadn't been on Broadway very often. And then it's a huge hit. So then what does he do? Create an even bigger hit with maybe an even bigger risk. I think that's a great, yeah. it's a great example for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Okay, can we go through the show? Do it. All right, let's start out with one of the craziest, most epic opening numbers of all time, Circle of Life. Now, when you were in the ensemble, what were you doing in this number? I got to know. Okay, so when I was in the ensemble, I was the antelope. I was nods and go. I was one of those guys. You were one of those guys? Like up at the top? Yes, with no shirt on again, doing doing the the push-ups. Look, Um, Tehran, when you got it, you got it. (laughs) They they saw me and they were like, yeah, you know, you can can cover all that. So that was terrifying in itself because that was not in English. You know what I mean? And that was really – and then at the end – there's a pronunciation, you know, when Simba's the, the king, 
the African comes out and does this long like thing, blessing sort to, of thing. Yes, blessing. I had to learn that too. So that I did that, and I'm trying to figure out because, like I said, I played 50 people. My gosh, that's a lot of knowledge. <laughs> Way to make some brain space for it. Well, you don't know. You know, in the audience, you don't know the machine that's making it all work. You know. Okay, on YouTube, there is a 360 experience within the Circle of Life number in the oh, musical. Wow. So you click on it, and then you can kind of drag it wherever, and you can see the entire number happening around you. I think because I haven't been on stage for so long that just like looking to my left and seeing off stage like just hit mm. me so hard. I, I highly recommend it if you just want to like escape for a second. Go escape into the middle of the cast of The Lion King on Broadway. But this opening number is unlike in terms of pageantry. Mm-hmm. It's unlike anything that Broadway had ever seen. And yet it's dramatically justified because... The pageantry is a pageant for this new life that's been born. There is a ritual happening here within this group of animals within Africa. The king has had a new son. The prince has been born. And we have all come to celebrate this circle of life, this event that makes it so Pride Rock will continue on and on and on. And it's an overwhelming thing to behold as an audience member Talk about taking a risk to give your audience that much at the top. You're like, how on earth are we ever going to live up to this for the rest Absolutely. of the show? Absolutely. Absolutely. You think it's more of a finale. But but yeah, it's – and if you had the fortune to see it on Broadway, I, I performed at the New Amsterdam before I went to yes. the uh, other theater. You know, this, there's maybe 1,300 seats. So when the line – when people – when we're coming down the aisle, it's cramped. And so I did at the Pantages with a gazillion seats, and it's just – different because wow. it's so big you know mm-hmm. so if you did have the opportunity to sit there in the broadway house and be overwhelmed by the presence of it it is actually a different experience now one of the things that they did and i think this is a tamer choice is really beef up the feminine presence in the musical one of the ways we see that first and foremost is with the character of rafiki who yeah was male in the cartoon and now is a is a woman I love Rafiki. I love what these women do with her. Um, I love that she's... Is she speaking Zulu? Yes. Yeah? She speaks Zulu throughout the show, whether she's mourning or whether she's talking to the audience or whether she's singing. Uh, Granted, there is English that comes in and out as well, but there aren't any subtitles that come up, (laughs) you know? And you don't need them. It doesn't matter. It's this incredibly vivacious character and that's what's important. And it really speaks to the power of theater as language. I agree. You knew what she was saying, but you yeah. didn't know what she was saying. Yeah. But you knew, you know. And making her a woman, there's two connections for Simba. And, and it's, it's Rafiki and mm-hmm. Mufasa. Um, and not so much Sarabi, you know, his mother. But mm-hmm. there's a connection there with Rafiki. I love her being like an elder of the tribe. Mm-hmm. After Circle of Life... We get to meet Rafiki a little bit more. And then there's this amazing transition in how we see baby Simba become more of like child Simba. There are these ensemble members with grass on their head. It's my favorite part of the show. Is it? Oh, my gosh. It's so cool. They rise out of the stage. So you see the grass and then you realize it's this rectangular headpiece that they're wearing. If you're going to follow up that crazy opening number with anything, it better be this. Mm. Mm. 
they all raise up and then they just start walking in patterns. And mm-hmm. then these puppets of Simba start kind of jumping through all of the grasses. And that symbolizes the passage of time. I love all of these moments of artistry, of choreography, because they always come back to the circle of life. Death, renewal. Unity. Because I remember the grass head. I had to balance that on my head. But it's almost like, am I my brother's keeper? Because if mine is tilted, I ruin the show. (laughs) So I'm I'm not only trying to keep it balanced for the because that's my job, mm-hmm. but I I don't, I'm not supposed to stick out. I'm supposed to be one of this whole thing that we're mm-hmm. supposed to all. So when unity, we're walking, that's what you're talking about. You, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So infused in the choreography and in the vision of it all is exactly what you're talking about. Nothing is wasted. Oh, let's just have the grass there. No, 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 no. Those were heavy on my head. <laughs> it, it it was it wasn't just an easy thing to do. So when I talked earlier about the physicality. Um, and the burden of the musical. We're doing something as a collective unit to make sure that we're not sticking out. And, and you know, it's it's very incredible, the behind-the-scenes uh, journey of this show. And, and, I, and this, you didn't ask me, but that's my favorite part. Other than the opening, I probably was still weeping into f- multiple scenes, singing that grass and the music. Mama Lay! You know, what we were saying. Yeah, I don't know. Gorgeous. I don't know. It's- yeah. And that music, I love listening to that track. Now we've got a little boy playing Little Simba. He mm-hmm. is instructed by his father, the King Mufasa, about the Pride Lands. And he says, essentially, everything, and we all know this line, everywhere the sun touches is our kingdom. And Simba's like, well, what about where the sun doesn't touch? And he's like, you don't get to go there. That immediately piques Little Simba's interest. We also meet his uncle, Uncle Scar who is kind of this foppish, <laughs> gay evil, if you will, character. His mask, his his piece mm-hmm. of puppetry, allows him to lunge like a mm-hmm. lion would. There's kind of this lion puppet above his head, and then when he gets angry, it mm-hmm. it lurches forward. Am, is that, am I saying that right? Yeah, you're definitely. And Mufasa did the same way in a different way. Mufasa could actually take his off. When he became less of a god and more of a father, you would see him take the big thing off and just be Mufasa dad. And then he would put his back on. So the, it, it worked. In- it was both like a mantle and a mm-hmm. puppet mm-hmm. that he was placing on when it came time to be king. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. that's cool. This king is raising his son with the pride, <laughs> literally and figuratively, of becoming king. You mm-hmm. need to know who you are. You are special. And you need Mm -hmm. to live that way because you are going to be king one day. And Mm -hmm. so there is that sacredness about it. But then within the foolishness of youth, there's also ego, Mm -hmm. right? Which then is an opening for Scar to be like, well, if you're so big and powerful, why don't you go over there in the where the sun doesn't shine? You know, Mm -hmm. if you are as special as your father's trying to convince you, you are, maybe you need to prove it, right? Maybe you need to work on your roar, all of that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And we do that in society now. We put our achieve, we make our identity what we have, not who we are. Mm, you know, hallelujah. So, so that's what. Who are you? Who are you? Who? Not what you have. We know you have all of that because that's your fault. Fo- but you don't have it now. Mm-hmm. But um, we're never enough. 
And then when we become enough <laughs> or have enough, then we think we are enough. And then when we lose that, we're nothing. Mm, you know? Yeah. Amen. Okay. Uh, I guess we should also mention Zazu, which is this bird who's kind of the secretary, the assistant to the king. And Zazu has this new song called The Morning Report, which I guess has since been cut from the show. Did you know that? I think so. I did. Yeah. I think I heard that. It also was cut from the animated film. Poor morning report. It just keeps getting the heave ho. <laughs> um, now, with all of this kind of tempting from Scar, Simba decides that he's going to go sneak off and, and go to the place where he's not supposed to, the elephant graveyard. And in order to do that, he's going to go get his friend, who also happens to be his betrothed, Nala. And Nala is with all of the lionesses who are hunting. And there's this amazing number. It's actually one of my favorite pieces of choreography in the entire show called The Lioness Hunt. And I guess this would be a great time to talk about Garth Fagan, who also won a a Tony Award for his work here on The Lion King. He is a Jamaican-born choreographer who really has kind of crafted his own vocabulary in terms of modern dance. He fuses modern dance with ballet, with kind of Afro-Caribbean movement, and it's on full display in Lion King, and it exhausts me because not only did he put that on you fine people, but then made you figure out how to do it with a freaking puppet on your head. And still stunning to this day, that that whole thing, the the women are so strong, as the men are, but the, the, the power. How often do you see that displayed? Another great example, because it is, does seem to be like this male-dominated world where we're talking about kings and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. it reminds us that in this circle of life, the women are the ones in charge of finding food, right? Yeah. They, they are the ones who make it even possible to live. So don't get too cocky. Yeah. Simba gets his uh, friend Nala they ask if they can go on a little adventure. They're just going to go to the waterhole. They're not really going to the waterhole. And the mom says, okay, you can go, but you have to bring Zazu with you. Oh, crap. No, he's such a pain in the butt. I don't want to go with him. He goes. So now it's about how do we get rid of Zazu? I know we'll do a number called Just Can't Wait to Be King. And it's another fantastic number full of costumes, full of color, full of everything that you could possibly want in a theatrical experience. That's the power I do think of the musical because that never felt disjointed. You didn't feel like all of a sudden, ooh, it's spiritual heavy, and then you're doing this comedy thing, and then you go back to this. It still felt part of it, which is another beautiful way to say how complex life is. It isn't just one thing, you know? Um, And how does that thread together? I love that, that moment, that fun moment. So now they're at the elephant graveyard. Yeah, they've lost Azu. And while there, they run into the hyenas. Now, there are these three hyenas who are always with Scar. But in general, Scar has created an army of hyenas, all of whom... Do you have any theories about the hyenas? (laughs) No, but tell me yours. Are the hyenas really just hungry? They're constantly talking the entire show about they're starving, right? And part of it is because, like, yeah, as animals in general, they tend to be bottom feeders, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just kind of constantly eating everything and without any sort of recognition. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But it's interesting that in that desperation, Scar saw an opportunity to get them on his side. In kind of a Hitler way, he was like, I know that you are desperate. If you stick with me, I'll make sure that you have everything that you've ever wanted. And they're like, Mm -hmm. great. 
Sounds good. Who do you want us to kill? Yeah. We get to eat. We get to feast. Opportunistic. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. And they're cowards. At the same time. Totally. At the same time. So they found some solace. Well, if the lion is coming to make a deal with us, maybe we can get behind the lion. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and he'll protect us. We'll kill, but they were they were disillusioned because they were dumb. <laughs> yeah, right. On top of <laughs> and, it all. You know, yeah, and, and greeting. So they, they didn't see that they were going to get the short end of the stick. It's funny. Yeah. Nothing more dangerous than being dumb and greedy. <laughs> yes. Uh, that being said, they're really fun characters. Those puppets are amazing. They're amazing. hyena puppetry. And they try to eat Simba and Nala. Mufasa comes in just in time to save the day. And now Simba's in huge trouble. This is a, such a gorgeous moment. Like you're saying, Mufasa takes off the king hat, and now he's just dad. And he is going to teach his son a thing or two about what has just happened. What he basically says is, we are all connected And if you think that your actions don't echo throughout the ages, you're wrong. Look at these stars. All of these stars above us are basically the echoes of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. Please never forget that. And he sings this song called He Lives in You. Yeah, good night. Good night. It's amazing. Because you also see a king in power uh, become vulnerable, sensitive, loving, sensitive, and compassionate. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think we could say that enough in the majestic quality and the fact that he was king of the pride lands to have a moment where you could see them even having fun. Remember at the end of that? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, And and laughing and, and, and joking per se, but to see that as a nurturing moment as well, like a behind the scenes that you might not see in somebody that powerful. Hot take. Is Mufasa quite possibly the best father figure in all of musical theater? Could be. And I'm thinking about wanting to be him now that I'm old enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's got to happen. That's, that's just, just, just go back and do it. Torture myself and more. <laughs> <laughs> you only have to make it through the first half of the, of the first act. Scar sings his song, Be Prepared. Shout out to Elton John for writing a great villain tune, which I was really upset got cut from the, the new movie. Oh, yeah, that was another bummer. Yeah. They decide through Be Prepared that they are going to kill Mufasa and Simba too. What that leads to is leading Simba into this, what is it, like a ravine? Gorge, they call it. Gorge, thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this scene, which becomes the stampede, becomes the wildebeest stampede, was one of the most epically animated scenes in all of animation. Right? At that time. Yeah. At, at that time. And so it was like, how on earth are you going to do the stampede on stage? Mm-hmm. And very simply, you have these, it's kind of like a rolling. Yeah, it's a rolling uh, the, pin. It's like a rolling pup- pin with things stuck, with, with like wildebeest yeah, stuck on it. Mm-hmm. And there are how many of them? Like two or three, maybe? Maybe two. Two or three. Yeah, so like the closer that they get to the audience, the puppets on the pins are bigger. So yes. it looks, as they start turning, like the wildebeests are, are you know, going to be attacking little Simba, who is on a treadmill. Is he on a treadmill or is he just running in place, pretending? He's just running in place. Good for him. Way yeah. to use that childhood imagination. <laughs> yeah, sure, did, sure did look like something against the wall of other things happening, I think. Absolutely. Um, 
cue another hydraulic lift that brings up actual actors holding different wildebeest pieces. And Yours so, truly. Really? Oh, yeah. That's my the bane of my existence was that number. Oh, my gosh. Talk to me about this. Because Why? Because the choreography was not it didn't make sense the foot <laughs> the footing the footing the the way that we had to use the wildebeest there were heads uh-huh and then my arms had to move and my legs had to move not at the same time you know oh freaking and modern dance <laughs> i i wondered if i ever got it right i just was i was just out there sweating going i hope i hope <laughs> is this um, right <laughs> but it, it was very 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 challenging and the stamina to because it was long with the arm that's why we were our bodies were in so it wasn't the gym it was the what we had it was the freaking wildebeest (laughs) it's the wildebeest but um (laughs) to your to what you're talking about the genius of how it started with the the puppet and they brought more puppets and then the human aspect made it and the music made you feel like you know danger was coming was there for for samba and it is and mufasa once again tries to come in and save the day he rescues Simba, and on the the way out of the gorge, Scar is responsible for him falling back into the stampede and being killed. And how dramatic you remember that fall was. Yeah, and it's and you know honestly it's dangerous. But a lot of the Mufasas have had back problems, and I mean this show is no joke. No, as far as the injuries and the risk. Um, this is interesting because, spoiler alert for everybody, next week we will be covering Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, which is another Julie Taymor show, but one that flopped in a way that Lion King <laughs> did not. Right. And is very well known for the injuries that plagued its run. So I guess my question for you is, do you think it, that Lion King is too dangerous? Um, I think that there was a high risk that Disney... Uh, they could have done things differently to protect the actors. Really? I'm just going to say that. And that yeah, is that's not, fine a, to say. A, that's not a surprise. They could have, for the risk or for the look or for the drama or for whatever reason, there were too many cases of injuries all around that were not listened by Disney. They were, and, and, and since it's already out on the table, and I don't care. I mean, I've heard so many times. In my, I, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that you're never going to work in this town again and you just laugh at this stuff. But I, I want to highlight this because it's important. Yeah. As a performer in The Lion King, I loved every minute of it on stage. Off stage, I had many, many problems with the management, mm. with um, Disney in itself, and its regard to their people. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. Why not? And that has to change because what we were doing as performers was risky and unnecessary in a lot of ways. I mean, it was on a rake stage. There were people to this day that can never dance again. There's people that still having financial problems. There's people on many kind of things. And we know it's not that you don't know the risk, but to answer your question, what was necessary and what was what was not necessary. Disney, and I've worked for Disney for years, mm-hmm. they have the mantle that it doesn't matter who you are because we're Disney and everybody wants to work. And they're right. That if you don't do it, somebody else is going to. That, that's it. And you feel that. Mm. And you're not supposed to feel that when, you, when I've worked with many other productions of people and I feel valued for what I bring to the table and that's what we talked about earlier with the bravado of wealth and, and power. Mm-hmm. It sometimes doesn't have the regard for its people in the way that it should. In the relationship to other 
entities that don't have as much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's baffling to me, and I had to get that off my chest because there's so many of my friends to this day that have suffered. And with a company like Disney, there's no way that they should have, yeah. and there should have been some more regard for wow. that. You know? I, I completely so, agree. Sorry for the darkness, but it's no, just that's No, just, it's so important. And that's the bittersweet pill that I have when people say, how was my experience? I have to stop in my track. I mean, I could, I could weep. Why do I have to stop in my tracks to think about a wonderful time of my debut in, in a wonderful mm-hmm. show, to have to think about all of the other grievances um, that had gone on, you know, so. Well, you know, in, in this time when theater isn't possible, let us take a moment and talk about this and be yeah, like, we have to. what is worth it and what isn't when it comes to human life? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there were things that could have been done to yeah. protect people. That actually would not have changed the integrity of it too much of it because there was so much of that they could have made those adjustments. And I'm not saying that one person suffered that, so they should have changed for one person. I'm saying if there's many, many cases mm, yeah. <laughs> of, of, a, of a same injury or a same problem, who's going to say, let's do it a different way? Or who's going to say, we'll get someone else? You know? Ooh. Ooh. That's a, you, you just said it. That was great. So I'll never work again. Just remember <laughs> that. No, please. <laughs> please don't, don't even... So uh, Mufasa dies, hopefully uh, not actually because of the dangerous. <laughs> and, um, and there's this really beautiful moment in the show where they actually take time to mourn Mufasa's death. There's a burial, there's a ritual involved in bringing that to closure that I really think is beautiful. You made those animals, the lions come to life, that the tears... The fabric of the tears, right? It was like, oh, that's right. Um, and they would, they would, they would weep, and then they would pull the tears out of their masks, and visually stunning. Wow, you know, see, nobody's getting injured through that, right? No, no, no. <laughs> so it's no. like you, yeah. Anyway, how impactful and yet so simple. The other kind of brilliant thing about Scar is he kind of uses mind games on Simba and says you're responsible for your dad's death. You probably mm-hmm. need to go or else everybody's going to know exactly what you did. Absolutely. And so he runs away and eventually collapses in the desert due to heat exhaustion. And mm-hmm. these vultures, of course, pu- amazing puppets, are coming in on him to to devour him. But he's saved by a meerkat and a warthog by the name of Timon and Pumbaa. <laughs> Another great bunch of characters who essentially save him, and even though he's in all of this trouble, they teach him a little phrase, Pakuna Matata, in order to continue on, right? Forget all of that heavy mantle of becoming oh, a, yeah. you know, of expectation, let's say. Yeah. Where we uh, live, you don't, you're not the king, you don't have any responsibilities. <laughs> right. You just eat. You just eat and... Hang on. And little Simba grows up to big Simba. So now, if you're playing Simba at this matinee, <laughs> this is yeah, the first time you come on stage. I'm chilling for an hour and a half. I'm getting my makeup on and doing Yes, I come out, which is great and cool because I do everything in the act too. But the adrenaline of knowing, right, the show is going on and I'm about to make my – I make my entrance at the end of act one right just to say hi and then go eat it's like seriously (laughs) five seconds before intermission you come out on stage and uh it's a glorious entrance and and another entrance of people getting hurt um really one simba one simba was injured so bad he couldn't do the show ever again because of that the landing of that just this just to let you know there's a lot going on there but fun 
I get to be a child and swing in on a vine. And uh, the switch of the young to the teenage older uh, Simba was brilliant. Brilliant. That's so cool. All right. So coming back from intermission, we go to one by one, which is this beautiful choral number with these amazing puppet birds that people are swinging around above their heads and everyone's dressed incredibly colorfully. It's so joyful. It has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't. It really doesn't. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, don't, I still go, what was it about? Who? What? The one thing that I kind of was able to mine from it is going back to this whole circle of life thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One by one, the the power of one within our community. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also the fact that we're about to contrast all of that joy, all of that color with what has happened to the Pride Lands mm-hmm. since Mufasa's death, which now it's desolate. The hyenas have overeaten. And so their gluttony has really destroyed what made this place so beautiful and connected uh, in the way that we we witnessed during One by One. So now that we're back into the Pride Lands, looking at what has happened to everything, we get this really long song called The Madness of King Scar, in which he kind of has a little bit of an existential crisis in song. That being said, let's get back to what we actually want to talk about, which is uh, Heather Headley. So... <laughs> For any listeners who listened to the Aida episode, you know that I'm a big fan of Miss Heather Headley. And one of her first big gigs was as Nala in The Lion King on Broadway. And Nala's role has been beefed up. At the end of The Madness of King Scar, we hear that Scar is wanting to take Nala on as a wife. And she's like, absolutely not. I am going to instead go look for some help. Something has to be done. Women getting the job done. So with the blessing of her community, she promises that she will return home. She will always remember home, but she's got to go find some help. And so she sings the gorgeous Shadowlands. Taylor made for Heather Headley. Yeah. Really. I mean, many people have sung it beautifully, but really using her strengths. Um, All of those like deep, dark tones and mm-hmm, everything that mm-hmm. she's got. Altos are never celebrated. Uh, One, and not yeah. that Heather Heather has an amazing range, but to hear hear a song that wasn't in the rafters uh, for the whole time was kind of new, I think. Different. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a soul there that mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. get celebrated very often at all. You're you're absolutely right. That brings us to okay, this crazy moment where Timon almost drowns. Timon, mm-hmm. Pumbaa, and Simba are walking along the river, <laughs> and then does Timon fall in? Yep. And it starts rushing him toward a waterfall. The entire stage transforms, and you see the silhouette of like little Timon hanging at the top of the proscenium, about to fall off the waterfall. People in the audience are losing their minds. What is happening? And the trauma of him falling triggers Simba into remembering the death of his father. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about what's going on in Simba's brain at this moment. Well, I think he's um, – talk about checked out. He's, he's, there's the, his identity has been reduced to eating and sleeping and hanging out with these two friends with no purpose mm-hmm. you know, in sight. And what is he going to do? You see Simba paralyzed. Mm-hmm. He, could, he could save his friend. He was calling for him, yes. And he's paralyzed, um, bringing him back to the moment – that inspires him to sing Endless Night, which is a gorgeous song. Talk to me about singing that one. 
Um, the first time I got to sing it, it was the top of 2001. Um, and I think I actually did the first performance of the new year because I remember vividly. Yeah. Um, and I remember it was the first time me going on. <gasps> and I remember um, everybody being in the wings to hear me. Um, I remember the supports. So you talk oh, about the community. That's so beautiful. <laughs> so there was a community. There was a community, but then they were listening to um, me sing that song. And I remember for me, I'll go ahead and admit it again. There was a torture a little bit. I remember feeling I, you know, where? No, straight tones. Where? No, that's not it. What? You know, it almost the abuse. I, I'm, I'm, you're getting exclusive here. No, I completely understand though. Keep in, going. In the way, in the, <laughs> I mean, in the way as a performer, like I audition, I actually got the part, you know, whatever, and now I have to tailor myself, and I understand to a vision, and I understand the character of it all. May I suggest that we introduce the phrase "tamor myself"? Uh, <laughs> might be the more accurate term. So I'm saying this to say. I was very rebellious on that show. I said, I don't care. I know I'm going to get notes anyway. I know they're going to tell me this, this, this. I'm going to experience this song in the way that I feel it to be. And I'm telling you, everyone was crying. Everybody felt the song. And, and I'm not trying to say that I did it in any way that anybody no, else didn't it was do it. In an authentic I, way. I just showed, especially in that moment, because I put it in a spiritual sense of father being God, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I had a backstory that I wanted to bring to the table that wasn't just the show. It was very, I will remember that moment for all my life because it paid off. Now, yes, I have to follow the director's direction. Yeah. But I knew that at eight o'clock or Nine o'clock when I'm on the stage and the director's not on the stage and you, I have a responsibility to do what I can't, you know, mm -hmm. mixed in with the direction and to never let that part die. That song and that moment because Simba's just there by himself. And then the funny thing about it, uh, Jeff, is that, you know, at the end, there's no applause. Right. Because it just it goes right into Rafiki, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it was always an interesting thing to just sit there in the silence and hit that note and something about that in that humble way is like uh, reflective of life to me that, you know, there's things that we do to be noticed. There's, oh, you know, there's charities or whatever, work that we do to be seen, mm -hmm. you know? And then there's a there's something about doing something wonderful not to be seen, Oof. you know? Yes. Um, but that's a you know, special song that Julie helped write. <laughs> well, do you know, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to create this podcast and create opportunities to have conversations about the emotional and cultural content of the storytelling is because there's so much other crap that you have to deal with. And we talk about it a lot. All you have to do is go to a, a party with actors and wait till someone starts complaining because there is so much to deal with. There, there mm -hmm. just simply is. So so don't feel bad about bringing that into it because it absolutely is there and should be celebrated in the great circle of life of, of what we do in, yeah, in the theater. Yeah, so. I think so. Okay, so after Endless Night, what's really beautiful, and this is great storytelling, you know, Endless Night ends on that big, glorious, beautiful note, and it's almost as though that note is carried through the wind across the Pride Lands through this lyric of hope of, I know that the sun will rise, right? Mm -hmm. And the power of that reaches Rafiki. And well, so you said the sun will rise. The sun will rise. It's not just the literal sun. It's him as the sun. 
Absolutely. In, oh my gosh. And, and so when the son rose with that note and the confidence of hearing his ancestor speak and he hits that note, that is to me, because my internal story sure. is that the, the sun was rising. He was the sun and that Rafiki heard that he was alive because he became alive in that experience of seeing or hearing the ancestors uh, say that the literal sun will rise. So I think it's a twofold and, and you, you described it so well. She heard that his vocal was a roar. Yes. Full body chills. Love it. Pumbaa and Timon end up getting chased by Nalik, who's very hungry because she's been looking for help. Simba jumps in to fight her. She pins him down because Nala is a boss. And this is a callback to when they were wrestling as children. He recognizes mm-hmm. that, wait, there's only one person who could pin me like mm-hmm. this, and it's Nala. So now they've met up. They haven't seen each other for years. She didn't even know he was alive. And there are immediate sparks. There's really great chemistry. And that leads to them singing Can You Feel the Love Tonight, Oscar-winning song. It's a great song. It's just a beautiful, magical, still moment in the chaos of the show. You know, <laughs> it, uh, it was just a moment for for them to be real. It's it's interesting to me that whole thing because you don't have that much time to build that relationship. She comes back, hey Nala, we're in love. Let's sing and move on. Yeah, but I mean, whatever. it's the you know, it, it's what makes musical theater one of the hard, most difficult art forms. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. is because you tend to have six lines in a scene in order to get to the place where you fall in love so deeply that you can then sing about it, you know? Sure. And also, could they have maybe, like, taken out a fart joke in order to give Nala and Simba another line? Probably. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Nala tells Simba that, like, the Pride Lands are... They need his help. He still feels responsible for Mufasa's death, so he says that he won't come home. She leaves completely devastated... Uh, Simba then meets Rafiki, who then sings a reprise of They Live in You called He Lives in You. This Mm -hmm. is one of the best reprises in all of musical theater. Before going to New York to see this, my father passed away. And so, like, between ragtime and then sitting in Lion King and hearing He Lives in You, are you kidding me? That is what my 17-year-old self needed. I'll tell you that. Oh, So, and this is personal, but he passed away before that? Mm Mm-hmm. So how did the theater move you if you're sitting there, Jeff, and they're saying he lives? How did that work? If you don't mind, yeah, I'm, of course. I'm kind of throwing it back to you. I mean, this is appropriate for this uh, podcast. What did that do for you to hear those words? Or uh... I think for me at that time, the great power of this song was that it can be a spiritual father or a, or a, an earthly mm-hmm. father. And for mm-hmm. me to hear both of those things at that time when I was in like a very, um, you know, uh, emotional place, mm-hmm. even more so than making me sad, I felt so warm. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of like feeling like this was the place to mourn, it was the place mm-hmm. to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And they did that. Yeah. And then you see after that song... Rafiki, you see the celebration of Simba getting that strength, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that uh, that power. And I think that's the beautiful thing about that because it could be a sad song or, mm-hmm. or, or, or a reflective thing, but it's more like, you know what? You can do anything. He's still there. Yep. And do, did you forget who you are, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, There's nothing better in a musical than having a moment like this also be the moment where they decide to do something. So to yeah. have it all culminate in this beautiful musical number is 
Yeah. And then tied into the one by one because you see those kings and queens in, in that oh. number. You know, you see the scrim comes up and those entities, those spirits are there. He lives in you. Oh, God. And yeah, it's just beautiful. Wow. You know, it's beautiful. Whew. That's good stuff. All right. So now they go back to the Pride Lands because how can you not? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, and, Timon and Pumbaa are in charge of keeping the hyenas busy. So they got mm-hmm. some shtick to take care of that. And Scar and Simba have this epic face-off. Once again, surprisingly simple in terms of you get to this place and you hold this pose and then you deliver the line. Like it's all very clear and precise but also, I guess that's what makes the storytelling very clear. Yeah, there's something that happens on certain words. It's really, you, you can't really think about being an emotional actor and take it all in at, at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some things that have to happen on a cue, on a line. And it's also for the audience to understand the same thing that happened when Mufasa died. Like this, it's happening again in a reverse mm. kind of situation. Anything to complicate that moment, you might miss it. But they don't want in a, in a Disney situation. We don't want you to miss it. We want you to know it. Oh, that's happening. Here oh, that's is. the moment. Circle of Here life. Here it is. Scar in a moment of ego lets mm-hmm. it slip that he was the one who killed his father. Mm-hmm. Which then, when Simba gets the upper hand, he forces Scar to reveal that to everybody else. I also love that Simba doesn't have to be the one to kill Scar. Mm-hmm. That it's ultimately those mm-hmm. those minions <laughs> uh-huh. who he's been, you know, awesome. toying with and taking advantage of. It's the mm-hmm. hyenas that ultimately devour him. Bye bye, Scar. Now with the battle over, everybody comes to Pride Rock and acknowledges Simba as as king. There are bows, there are rituals, and the circle of life continues. Talk to me about the ending of this, of the whole show. Oh, well, it's just a perfect button to see Nala, Simba, and their child start it over, Mm -hmm. you know, rebuild. um, And the coronation that happened at the beginning is, is exactly what you want to happen and to honor the whole thing with the Rafiki blessing, you mm. know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. Rafiki was at the beginning, yeah. and she's here again, you know, is a, a beautiful way to close it. So, You know, we talked about how they began this musical with a finale. The opening yeah. number is essentially a finale. But in that lies the metaphor, which is the ending is the beginning and vice versa. Absolutely. And the ending, like you're alluding to, when you go home and you stand up and you're clapping is a beginning for you. Mm, mm, so, mm, mm. so the, the circle of it's the, it's, you went through this whole journey and it's ending, but there, but the baby's born. And then, so it's dot, dot, dot. What are you going to do as the audience member or the person who's just experienced this to put yourself into the story, to put yourself in this, in the circle. That's what they were trying to say. It's a beautiful circle. It's a beautiful thing called life. You know, yeah, amazing. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much, Tehran. Truly. Oh, I what mean, a I, I think it's cool to just reflect on something that I thought that was so uh, monumental in my life, um, something that will always stay with me for my life, and um, just th- what theater does, right? It really transforms, and we just hope when we get back to do more of it, 
that we could tell more of these kind of stories, mm-hmm. you know? When I was doing The Lion King and I was young, I felt so much pride in African-Americans and South Africans being on a stage together in a celebratory, wealthy, rich, majestic way. And so if the world doesn't see those, then little Jeff and little Tehran are they won't know those possibilities or that the people are even out there (laughs) because the arts do bridge that imagery for us. And and once you see it, you can't unsee it. You might not want to recognize that after you left the theater and go back to your life. You know what I mean? But you saw saw it. it. You saw us. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on A Musical Theater Podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at amusicalpodcast where you can find more great content. And while you're at it, hop on over to our Tee Public store where we have great designs based on favorite moments of episodes past and present. Tehran, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? Follow me on Facebook, Teron Brooks. I actually respond. I talk to people. I'm old school, so I love Facebook. And, of course, on Instagram, Teron Brooks. And then if you're really interested about hearing some music, I do have my latest record. It's called The Soul of Broadway. Um, And so that's www.thesoulofbroadway.com, where we rebelliously twist Broadway songs. And I actually sing Circle of Life in a different kind of way on that record. That's amazing. We will definitely be tagging you and uh, all of this amazing stuff in your career throughout this week. You also have a Christmas show coming up, right? I have a Christmas show with one of my best friends of many, many, many years, Camila Marshall. This will be our 11th year doing Holidays Harmony. It's We call it the Black Donnie Marie. So it's, uh, it's a variety. It's campy. It's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And then it's soulful. We sing a lot of songs um, because we've been singing forever. So go to GaryMarshallTheater.org um, and get your streaming tickets for Holidays Harmony 11. Fantastic. Thank you again, Tehran. You're amazing. And uh, to everybody out there, oh man, I get, uh, this happens to me sometimes. I try to think of a tagline and then I can't think of, think of it. Um, and to everybody out there, can you feel the love tonight? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I was going to say Hakuna Matata. You know, oh just... my gosh, that's so much better. And to everybody out there, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.